I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Everybody dances. I love it. <laughs> Every time. Leticia was just in here and she was dancing. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's, I, like it. I wonder if people, I always like, uh, if I'm listening to it, it's usually on a walk and yeah. I usually end up like kind of grooving. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Welcome to The Remedy. So happy that you are here listening today and so happy about my guest that is here as well. Um, but before we get to that, I have to thank the sponsor of today's episode, which is Audrey Dunlop, Yay! who's sitting here. How cute is that? <laughs> she wanted to sponsor your episode. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's ridiculous that you did it because today's your birthday. Yeah. So it's happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Odds. Yes. So I, um, I have Paige Montgomery sitting in front of me today. And I have Paige because Audrey reached out and said, you should have Paige. And I was like, perfect. Um, I have known, I met you several yes. years ago. Yes. Um, but I've known your name and a little bit of your story and have been praying for you. Thank you. For a long time. Um, so uh, when Audrey said, and, and like your story is just, I mean, we have really prayed for you. <laughs> Our Bible study has been scared. Yeah. We have been scared. Yes. And, and a sweet little Audrey, is, she's, we used to cry all the time about how best. afraid she was yeah. um, about how sick you were. So um, thank you for coming on The <gasps> Remedy today and sharing your story. Um, you're so inspiring. You always have been. Um, that's another great quality of yours. Um, but I'm sure you're, I mean... People like you don't feel like they're like they're not doing what they're doing to be inspiring. They're you, I'm sure you just feel like you're just living. Right. You know, you're living the life that you're that was dealt. Yes. You know, you're playing yeah. with the hand that that was dealt to you, but you've just done it so gracefully and beautifully. Well, thank um, you. So thank you. Thank Thanks you for having me for coming and sharing I'm, your story. I'm honored to be here. Okay, so uh, Paige, where'd you grow up? So I was raised in Houston. Okay. Um, which is where I met Audrey. We went to high school together. I actually transferred high schools um, sophomore year, and I met Audrey and grew up there. So I transferred. I was in an all-girls Catholic school my freshman year, and end of freshman year, so summer after freshman year, my brother dragged me to Young Life Camp. <laughs> And he I would do. Drag. Yes, it was it the one in, in Colorado? <laughs> he dragged me. It was actually one in New York, oh. called Saranac. Yes, oh, so I didn't know there was one in New York. It's beautiful, and he made me go. Mm -hmm. um, I did not want to go. I was raised Catholic. My, oh, excuse me, Catholic my whole life. So Charlie took me to Saranac camp, and that is where I accepted Christ. And I left camp that week, and I told my dad I felt like I was being called to go to Kincaid High School, and my dad was like. That's my worst nightmare, <laughs> but you have one week to get in. I will give you one week to apply, interview, and get in. And if you get in, then you can go. And if not, you're going back to all-girls school. Why was Kincaid such a, he, like, why did, why was that a nightmare for him? Because I don't, he, I don't, what's Kincaid? Kincaid is a non-denominational private school. And okay. he wanted me at Catholic all-girls school. That's where 
He went to all boys Catholic school. He wanted me to go. My sister went to all girls Catholic school. Older sister? Yes. So she had already graduated? She was at UT at the time. Okay. And he wanted me to follow in her footsteps and do exactly what he and she did. So he wanted me to stay at Catholic school and I did not want to do that. And so he gave me a week and praise God I got in (laughs) and followed my brother to Kincaid. And that's where I met Audrey and our other best friend Blair and so many of our great friends. Mm -hmm. And that's where my walk with Jesus started. So I was raised there and then I went to TCU. I wanted to pursue fashion and I got into the fashion school at TCU. Oh, that's a big deal. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Thankfully, Audrey and I went there together. And but you didn't do my- fashion, did you, Audrey? <laughs> <laughs> I wish you all just saw Audrey's face. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of our friends went there, and then I went to TCU, and I never left Fort Worth. I've been and, there ever since. And did you meet your husband in so school? He and TCU? I have a he and I have a crazy story, but no, he is five years older, and so oh. we met when I was a senior in college. And he lived across the street from some of my girlfriends. And one of my friends, Shannon, actually told him one night, I know the girl that you're going to marry. And he was like, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, and we met. We have And a, he hadn't met you? No, he had not met me. She just time. walks up to him and says, I know the girl that you're yes. going to marry. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Does and he was not do really that the, kind of was, thing a lot? He was, <laughs> no, he was not really the dating type either. So he was. it freaked him out. So much. And so that's a wild thing yes, to say to someone. Yes. And we have a wild story. Um, he did not know Jesus when we met. And so we kind of met one summer and then we stopped talking for nine months. And why then he came. Wait, did, when you first met, did you date? Nope. Nope. We did not. We did not date. We hung out. Did I you like him? Twice that summer. Yes, I liked him. He kissed me and it made an impact on me. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, he kissed me and it made an impact yes, on me. <laughs> yes. And then we we stopped. Like Wait, you turn your mic on and say that again. What Never you heard it quite put like I that. I know, me neither. <laughs> I didn't forget. I him. kissed him and it made an impact on me. <laughs> mine, mine is usually way more salacious than that. <laughs> way more salacious talk. Uh, so we stopped talking and. Why? Well. Again, he wasn't the dating type, and he wasn't walking with the Lord, and I had just gotten out of a really hard relationship, and I was not looking for a boyfriend at all. He was not looking for a girlfriend. And so it was actually, so this is summer after my junior year of college when we hung out twice, and then that fall I got really sick for the first time. Um, I was not diagnosed with cystic fibrosis at the time, but first semester of my senior year, I got pancreatitis really badly. Oh. And because they didn't know about my lung disease, they didn't really know what was causing it. Um, They blamed it on alcohol, but I really wasn't a heavy drinker. (laughs) And so I was in and out of the hospital my whole first semester of senior year. Um, And I don't know what pancreatitis is. What is it? Basically, something is poisoning your pancreas. Okay. It is one of the most painful experiences you'll ever experience. But there, it's either alcohol, cystic fibrosis, or something. Some organ is poisoning your pancreas, mm. um, and so we fought it for that whole first semester of senior year. And so Ryan and I never talked or hung out again. And anyways, end of my senior year, we finally 
the doctors were like, the only thing we could do is go into surgery, see if it's your gallbladder. We ended up figuring out that my gallbladder, I had a ton of gallstones and my gallbladder was completely dead and poisoning my pancreas, oh, wow. which was causing all of that. So, so did they take your gallbladder out? They took my gallbladder out in November of my senior year. Mm-hmm. And um, it was actually kind of jumping into my story already. It was actually through that journey with pancreatitis and with my gallbladder that God put on my heart to start a ministry at TCU. And I had been a Young Life leader, so I had been on high school campuses just trying to get the gospel out there to all these high school students, just like someone did to me when I was in high school. How did you do that? Um, At private schools. But you you would just... Yeah, just invite kids to come to Monday night, where it's like our worship night. Oh, okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. So it was actually... I thought you were saying you did that on your own. So you did it with Young Life. No, I did it with Young Life. Got it. So I was a Young Life leader in Fort Worth at TCU. And on the private school campuses. Um, so anyways, it was when I was sick, first semester of my senior year, that God was like, I'm calling you back to TCU campus. Like, I really want you to show people who I am at TCU right where you are. And I felt like he used my sickness first semester of my senior year. And it was when I was quitting Young Life. I was talking to our head of Fort Worth Young Life when ignite the ministry I started at TCU was put on my heart where I just wanted everyone who didn't know the Lord and to come worship together. And I wanted everyone, all of my friends of all backgrounds, of all colors, of all, every ethnicity to feel welcome. Um, TCU wasn't a very diverse campus. And so I wanted a ministry where everyone didn't look the same. And so- I love that. God put that on my heart right as we were going into Christmas break senior year. And I called one of my guy friends and told him just to pray about it. And we came back from Christmas break and God brought a leadership team together. And we just started grinding out this vision of what God had for our campus and for had for TCU. And what's funny is at the same time, Ryan, my husband, came back into my life. So this is January of my senior year and Ryan kept coming back and coming back and he just kept showing up. How did it, how did he, how did that relationship start back up? We just saw each other. We hung out with the girl who said we would get married. Um, I would go out with her. She was one of Audrey and I's best friends and he just kept being everywhere that we were, whether it was out to dinner or cooking out with friends. He just kept, his presence was always there. And in the forefront of my mind was Ryan and I didn't know why. And so parallel that with this ministry we were starting, Ryan started pursuing me at the same time. And in first weekend of April of my senior year was when we launched Ignite. And so it was a full campus-wide ministry, and we worshiped every Monday night at 9 o'clock. We would have a full band, and we would have a pastor come preach. And we had about 500 people show up the first night. What? But amongst those 500 people— was Ryan. And Ryan compared, I mean, we're all 20, 21 years old, and he was 26, I think, at the time. So all my guy friends were like, why is this old guy keep showing up here? Who is that? Stalker. But that's where Ryan really heard the gospel for the first time, wow. which is so crazy, because I'm like, how in the world would I could have written this better that the man that God was calling me to marry would hear about Jesus really for the first time at this ministry that he put on my heart through my sickness Mm -hmm. last semester. Yes. 
So Ryan kept, he kept showing up every single week and he kept hearing the gospel over and over and I could just see it stirring in his heart. And um, yeah, he and continued. are you guys dating? So we are not week? dating. Okay. We are talking. Just friends. Just friends. He was, made it clear he was pursuing me, but I had a lot of guards up, mainly because he wasn't a believer. And um, I just had a lot of walls up from my previous relationship and I just wasn't ready for a boyfriend. I just wasn't ready to go there yet. And I wanted, because he hadn't accepted Christ and because he wasn't a strong believer, I just had to pray about it. And he pursued me for five months and I prayed harder for his heart than I think I've ever prayed for anything in my entire life. Because you liked him? Because I liked him a lot. And you wanted it to work, but your faith is so important to you that it had that component had to be there. It had to be there. Mm-hmm. And, or God had to make it really clear. And God did make it really clear. He was like, this is the guy I have for you. And I promise his heart's going to change. I just need you to be patient. And so our graduation weekend, we actually started dating. And so y'all did this for months? For five months. Wow. Yeah, from January until the end of May. We were talking and he kept showing up again at night asking a lot of questions about Jesus, asking a lot of questions about my faith and about my story and why I had all the guards up that I had. And so we got to know each other really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And we had a lot of fun. He's a phenomenal human being. Mm -hmm. And so we started dating. How long ago is this? How old are you now? So I'm a senior in college. I was 21. Okay. But how old are you now? 31. So this was 10 10 years ago. Yes, 10 years ago. Okay. And so he started, we started dating and he started walking with the Lord. He hadn't accepted Christ into his heart yet, but he was really growing in his faith. And it was actually um, six months into dating. So we started dating end of May, beginning of June. Fast forward, January 13th, I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, my lung disease. And how he like, had, how were you diagnosed and what was happening with, with your body? So Ryan and I had gone dove hunting that fall and I went to his ranch and I got bronchitis. Mm-hmm. Um, a bronch, I had chronic bronchitis, chronic pneumonia ever since high school. Mm-hmm. And so it really wasn't a big deal for us. But my mom was like, if you're going to keep dating this boy and you're going to stay in Fort Worth, then I need you to find a lung doctor. I can handle all this because you can't keep living on antibiotics all the time. So I went to this lung doctor. He did a bunch of tests on me and I had been blood tested for cystic fibrosis earlier on in my life. And it was negative. Why? Why had that been a test? Were you sick? Yeah. So I had asthma as a baby really badly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had chronic cough and starting in eighth grade. But when I was younger, they had blood tested me just because of how bad my asthma was and how sick my lungs were. So Um, when you were growing up, did you feel like you were sort of sickly? You know, I didn't think of myself as sick, but I had a chronic cough that everyone made fun of. Like I was always coughing and the teachers were always annoyed of it. And so it was kind of a joke that I was always sick, but we didn't really, I didn't really think of myself as sick. Mm. Um, I just was on antibiotics a lot. Okay. Audrey, did you think of her as sick? Yes, everyone made fun of it. (laughs) Up there's Paige. I can hear her coming down the hallway. (laughs) Were you tired of coughing? Yes, yes. I was exhausted from coughing. Yes, it was. And it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Because the whole, like our whole high school knew my cough. And that's embarrassing. 
So <laughs> that is embarrassing <laughs> as a high schooler, especially. <laughs> but what's funny is like when my high school teachers find out now that I was diagnosed with CF, they're like, oh, that's why she was coughing all the time. Wow. Yeah. So everyone you remembers were me. I was known. I was known for it, but it never kept me down, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. I still played all the sports I wanted to. Me down. Yeah. So okay. So you're you get bronchitis. You're dove hunting. Yeah. So I get bronchitis. The bronchitis turns to pneumonia, and that's when my mom was like, "I think you need to go see a pulmonologist in Fort Worth." He heard my story, and pancreatitis is a red flag because that's not something just a normal person gets. For cystic fibrosis. For cystic fibrosis. Okay. So he was like, "Let's dig a little bit deeper, and we'll do a sputum test." And what's a sputum test? It tests. That's a weird word. I know, it's a gross (laughs) word. It tests your spit. Oh, okay. And cystic fibrosis patients have very specific infections in their lungs that someone like you would not have. Okay. And so once he got those results, he was like, you have a lot of infections in your lungs that are only cystic fibrosis based. So let's do a sweat chloride test. So something interesting about CFers is our sweat. CFers? Yeah. (laughs) Our sweat. I've never heard that before. Our sweat is a lot saltier than anybody else. So if the blood work doesn't work, you do what's called a sweat chloride test, and they sweat. They test your sweat channel, so they'll see, so they can tell if you have CF based off of your sweat. Wow. So Christmas, I was 22 at the time. It's Christmas, I went home a day early from Christmas break, and did a sweat test. Were you scared? You know, I cried a lot. On that way back to Fort Worth, to my mom, I was like, I think this is it. Like, I think this is, it just made sense. Everything that I had battled my whole life and especially my adult life. I was like, I think this is what. Because you were reading about it and you were reading about the symptoms and you were reading about side effects. Right. And And the doctor had explained it all to me. Mm. And I've wanted an answer. So at this point, I had struggled enough with my health and with my lungs and with the pancreatitis, I was ready for an answer. I wanted an explanation as to what was going on with me. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like the easier outcome than just the un- unknown and continuing in the unknown. Mm-hmm. So fast forward a few weeks, January 13th of 2011, my Ryan and I have been dating a little over six months. He drives in from a work trip. My parents fly in from Houston all to go to this doctor's appointment with me mm-hmm. to get whether it was a yes or whether it was a no. The results. <clears throat> yes, and so we sit down in his office, and literally I can picture it like it was yesterday. He said, you do have cystic fibrosis. You have what I call a very strong adult onset. The infections that are in your lungs are life-threatening, and they're very, very, very active. And he said, your life expectancy is 32. And I was 22 years old at the time. He said, you most likely won't have children. Uh, Most men with CF are sterile. Most women with CF can't get pregnant. And if they do get pregnant, they usually can't survive through a pregnancy. And here I am sitting with my boyfriend and we're all terrified. Everybody's terrified. Are you crying when you're hearing this or are you just in shock? I was just in shock. I wasn't terrified at that point. I felt like God had prepared me for this moment for a really long time. And I felt like he had given me enough peace to not break down in tears in that appointment. I was excited for 
an answer, like I said a second ago. But I also knew I wasn't defined by everything that was coming out of his mouth. Mm. Um, and I feel like it's that was years, years of preparation yeah, in my heart to know that. Sure. Even though it, it's, I get that because there are so many other people who would hear that and think, I'm done. Right, right. And it's over and you're dying. You're dying. And you're going to die sooner than later, so you can't live. Right. And you didn't hear that. No, I didn't. Even though... That, like, puts a lump in my throat. Yeah, it was... I would have heard what I heard. Yeah. It's so funny because when doctors tell me something, I almost try and run and do the opposite. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why, but... um, I love that. And thankfully, my husband does too. Mm-hmm. And so Ryan and I, we walked out of that appointment, and he had to go back to a work trip. He had a seven-hour trip ahead of him. Wait, how did your parents? How did your parents so deal with that news? My parents and I didn't talk immediately right when we walked out. They let me and Ryan have a second. So and sweet. I know. I know. So we walked out, and Ryan. Oh man, he grabbed my face, and he was like, "I promise you that this fight is our fight. You're not in this alone." And I promise you for the rest of our lives, I will never leave your side. And I can't take it. (laughs) That's when I was like, okay, the Lord, because this disease, you're diagnosed at birth. Like I've had this disease my whole life. How did they not catch it? Because of my, my, the, my genetic makeup was not part of the blood panel at that time. Mm -hmm. It could only be found on a sweat test. And it took this man caring enough to figure that out for me. But I knew when Ryan told me that, that God had waited for Ryan to be in my life to give me this diagnosis. And I knew I couldn't do it without him. And so... Which is really... A, a, like, there's so many different ways this could have gone. Like, right. there's so many... Like, you could have looked at him and said, that's great that you love me that much, but I'm not going to let you date me. Right, Like, right. you could have kicked him out yes. and said, you, I love you and I don't want you to bur- be burdened with this right. and you deserve to have kids and you deserve to have the life, you know, you didn't ask for this. Right. And I mean, I would have done the same exact thing as him and you would yeah. think that most people would, but it, both of you could have responded differently. Different. You could have said, no, you're, you're out. And he could have said, no, I'm out. Yeah. Like, this is too big. This is too much. Right. The fact that he did that, I mean, you're so right that God prepared both of you to be in a space mm-hmm. to just say, we don't have to accept that truth. I mean, we can hear a diagnosis, and that's fine. But, you know, we we don't, we can still we can still have our life together. Have our life. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, that's, that had, that had to be all faith. It, it was, yeah, which is crazy. Cause especially he's so young. Yes. And he was really, I mean, he, at this point hadn't accepted Christ really formally into his heart yet. And yet he was exemplifying yes, he Christ. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he, he was exemplifying Christ. <laughs> he in may have more, not said those right. words or done the whatever, but yes, yes, he did. He lived out. Yeah. He lives out. Jesus all day, every day. Um, so my, but my parents, they handled it okay. I think they were really shocked. Mm-hmm. 
but they too finally had an answer. Um, honestly, I think the hardest part, so with CF, both parents have to be carriers of CF mm -hmm. to have a child with CF. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard for my parents to be like, oh, this was from us. Yeah. And so that is something we, I have to constantly remind them. It's like, this isn't your fault. Yeah. And just because you didn't know about it doesn't, it wouldn't have kept it from happening. And I'm grateful it happened because I'm grateful for my journey. Um, and that's taken me a long, a long time to be able to say that, but I am. And let me tell you, I, you know, I have, I've lost children to yes. mitochondrial disease and it's because I'm a carrier and my ex-husband is a carrier. And as a parent, that burden is real. It's heavy. Yes. You, I mean, as a, as a parent, you blame yourself anyway right. for everything. Right. You know, you we're really good at that. Yeah. And I just, like, I feel that for your parents. Yeah. Because you, like, you want to give your children everything. Yes. Like, good. And to, I mean, it's not nobody's fault. And I know that. Yeah. God. But feel, it's hard. Yes. That. I feel that burden. That weight. Your parents. It's heavy. Mm -hmm. It's really heavy. And mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's where we just have to continue to remind each other that no. it's not your burden to carry. No. And it's, I mean, it's just this world we live in. You yeah. Know, it's our, it's a, it's a human, we're having a human experience with bodies that are imperfect. Right. I mean, they're just are. We're, we're all carriers of something. Like when I was going through this with my children i found out from the genetic doctors like we are all carriers of something of something yeah it's just the chances of me being a carrier of the same diseases or you being a carrier of the same diseases as your husband right are not likely likely yeah so anyway i i feel i feel i'm sure your parents have reconciled that yes when, and have found peace but i get that it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, I was actually just talking to my mom on the way here about my first hospital stay, which I'll tell you. But it was really hard on her. Mm -hmm. It was really hard. Um, well, and I'm sure as a parent, you're like, she's 22. She's had this her whole life. Like, right. how did we, what if we got care earlier? What if we got treatment earlier? I mean, I would be yes. freaking out yes. as a mom. Like, where did I fail? And we had that conversation numerous times. And I told my mom, I go, I don't, I don't want this stamped on me through high school and college. Oh, yes. Thank um, God. Praise God. I didn't. Yes. Like, um, you were the coffer that yes. everyone was giggling at. Yes. Like, yeah. I'd rather be the, the poor. Yes. Yeah. Instead of the poor girl who has CF. Right. Like, yes. And it's no, you All can't day. blame anyone for it, but people look at you differently. For sure. A um, thousand percent. Everybody looks at you a little bit differently yeah. when, once they find out what I've been through. I looked at you differently when I met yeah. you. It's hard. Yeah. And that's a hard, it's kind of, when I meet strangers, it's, it's kind of nice because they look at me as just a healthy, normal mom. Yeah. I mean, you look completely, totally healthy. Yeah. So it's, it, I'm so grateful I wasn't looked at that way through high school yeah. and college. I get that. Um, and most CFers are like, they I deal with it from the beginning. I don't want to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a cuss Yeah. <laughs> You, does, you, little like a, you little CFR. You little I never thought about it that way. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's so good. But most of them deal with it their whole life. And it's a really dark disease. You spend a lot of time in the hospital. 
and a lot of time alone suffering. And a lot of people don't get it. They don't get the ins and outs of the suffering. And thankfully, I had a man who was by me from the beginning of when it got really hard. Yeah, the fact that he said those words to you in the parking lot is just about the best damn thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Go. He's, What's his name he again? He said Ryan. Go, Ryan. Yeah. He's the <laughs> yes, greatest. Yes, Ryan. Yes. He has been my Touchdown. rock. Yeah. So he proposed that October. So we... Um, so y'all had dated um, a little over a year. A little over a year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he proposed in October and we wanted a really quick engagement. Um, I bet. You're like, yes, let's go. Let's do this. <laughs> but it was three weeks after we got engaged that I had my first hospital stay. And at this point, I couldn't keep any food down. Um, You were throwing? Yes. My esophagus was spasming. So anything I tried to take in, I just lost. Were you in pain? Oh, I was in so much pain. Everything burned. I can't even imagine my esophagus spasming. So cystic fibrosis primarily is lung disease, Mm -hmm. but it also affects the GI tract and your liver. Mm -hmm. And so I was dealing with the lung. I was on all these antibiotics. And then all of a sudden my GI tract stopped working. And so three weeks after we got engaged, I got put in the hospital in Houston and they over-medicated me. I was pretty much asleep for two weeks. It was just a really depressing state. And it sent Ryan and my mom, my whole family, just into a really, really hard place. And um, Did somebody get mad at the doctors? Yeah, you know, doctors are funny in that. If they don't know what's happening to you, they just place a different diagnosis on you. So they had tried to say I had an f- eating disorder. I was like in all this depression. And Ryan like, and my mom were like, that's not what's <laughs> happening here. <laughs> she just had a diagnosis. It affects the GI tract. We were just in the wrong hospital with the wrong doctors. But that really? was fine. God had a purpose and he had a plan in it. Um, but what was sweet is that my first hospital stay was when Ryan asked Christ into his heart. And in that first hospital stay, my mom's relationship with Jesus took a turn. And, and she just fell in love with him in this whole new way. Mm-hmm. And so She needed him in a whole new way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the Lord, from the beginning of my story with cystic fibrosis, made it very clear that he was going to use it for his glory mm-hmm. and that he was going to use it to further his kingdom. And so for that, I was really, really grateful. Wow. Um, because he doesn't always have to show us that yeah. and struggle. True. It's what faith is all not about, right? Not everybody gets that. Yeah, not everybody gets that um, assurance that he's there and he's in it and that he mm-hmm. sees you and that he's using it for his good. And so... Yeah, like I, you pray for it. Yeah, you pray for it and yeah. you hope for it. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's faith in the what's unseen, right? So yeah. he doesn't always have to show it. But that whole engagement, <clears throat> I had feeding tubes. I had a pick line, which is a yeah. per, like an IV for a longer period of time than just a few weeks. So the pick line is to put food in, right? The pick line is for the antibiotics. Oh. But I did have the feeding tube. The, the, did you have the one that the went nose. up your nose? Yes. Oh. I know. It was stop. terrible. So like my, you're, I know. Oh, and I'm trying to plan this awful. wedding. And my friends came and tried on bridesmaids' dresses in my hospital room. <laughs> and then oh. for my bachelorette, I was put back in the, I was put in the hospital in Fort Worth. And so they came and had a bachelorette party for me at the hospital. And two weeks before, so my cystic fibrosis doctor in Fort Worth told me I would not walk down the aisle. He told me, you were so sick. You were so weak. 
there's no way you're going to walk down that aisle and have a normal wedding. So just prepare your heart for it. Were you, did you lose a bunch of weight? Yeah, I was really skinny. And is this because your esophagus still like it's because my esophagus, yes, my esophagus was spasming. Okay. And there's nothing they can do for that. Well, there, there was, so I ended up, um, so we were engaged for five months. Mm-hmm. Um, we got engaged in October and then we got married in March. And in those five months, I was in the hospital in Houston, Fort Worth. And then someone had recommended me to a doctor in Denver. So we got desperate. I still we was getting close to the wedding. I was still really sick. I still couldn't keep food down. And I needed some something. I needed a lifeline. So they took me to Denver. And that doctor knew exactly what to do with me. Mm. Um, he put me on some medical marijuana that changed my life. Wow. And I got off the feeding tube. I got off the IVs. Two weeks so the marijuana calmed the esophagus? It calmed the esophagus down. Well, hot damn. I know. <laughs> it calmed my GI tract down. Wow. Everything. And I could eat food again. I wanted to eat food I again. Bet. Were you so hungry? Yes. Yes. Well, it was just nice to have an appetite yeah. again. And so... Um, Anyways, I made it to my wedding and I walked down the aisle and we went on our honeymoon and it was, it was phenomenal. Oh, yes. Where'd you go on your honeymoon? We went to the Bahamas. What part? Yeah. We went to Andros Island for uh-huh. a few days. Uh-huh. Ryan's a big fisherman. Uh-huh. So we went bone fishing there. So and then fun. we went to a place on Nassau that I've grown up going to my whole life. Uh-huh. And it was actually Easter Sunday. So we spent Easter there. That's awesome. It was great. It was wonderful. But so were you feeling better? Yes, I was. I was feeling good. I was feeling better. So how do you how do you take medical marijuana? Do you smoke it? Like no, marijuana? it's a pill. Oh, there's a, a pill. pill. Yes. Okay. Yeah, there's a pill. I don't know um, why I want to giggle. I know. I know because it sounds crazy. <laughs> but I was on it for a few years, really, till I got pregnant. Wow. Um, it kept me going. Yeah. It worked. It worked. And it it stayed working like you felt healthier and stronger so i yes i was in and out of the hospital that first year of our marriage and i was still sick i was just fighting lung infections mm-hmm. and at that point we didn't really have all we had were antibiotics we didn't have any other drugs that fought the infection for you and so we actually found out on our one year uh well, it was april so it was a, our one year anniversary we found out that I was in a menopausal range and the likelihood of me having kids was really, really low. Like and your body so was, was in your menopause. Your yes. Hormones. Hormones were- at the age of 23. I think it was 23. Did you time. have any symptoms? Did you feel? I just didn't have normal female uh-huh. cycles. So uh-huh. um, yes, I, I knew there was something wrong mm-hmm. and we just blamed CF, which is exactly why he told me there's a large chance yeah. I wouldn't be able to have kids is because my hormones aren't balanced out like a normal person at the mm-hmm. age of 23. Mm-hmm. And so my OB told us, I mean, we had only been married one year. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to have kids, but I knew that if I wanted kids, we had to start early um, because they told me how unlikely it was to be able to have them myself. So when she told me I was in menopause range, we started medication. And so I was on fertility meds, um, basically for six months. Like what kind? It was, I was on estrogen. Uh-huh. Um, and then I started, what's it called? That makes you ovulate. Clomid? Clomid. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of Clomid. 
And, um, but it was really the estrogen to get my levels up to a normal level. And, um, I started Clomid in September and right when I started Clomid, my right lung collapsed and I was put in the hospital and my doctor told me, like, I think we have to shut that door right now and we've got 18 months to fix this lung. And maybe after 18 months, I'll tell you that the door's open again to try and have kids. Why 18 months? So one of my lung infections is extremely life-threatening. It's called Mycobacterium obsessus. And not many cystic fibrosis patients have it. It's really rare. But when it comes active in my lungs, it can kill you within a matter of months. It's just an aggressive infection. And it's really scary because they didn't have really any treatment for it at the time. And my doctors were terrified because it was showing up. And I had four other infections that were active at the time. And she was like, here, just, I'm sorry, but you're sick and you don't need to have a kid right now. This is the last thing that your body needs. So I listened to her and I stopped Clomid and, um, I bet you were sad. I was sad. Oh, I cried for weeks. I cried for weeks and I spent two weeks in the hospital and then I begged my way out. So I got home. Um, and I remember I was walking into, um, Madewell and for some reason I just got this weird feeling over me that I was pregnant (gasps) and I called, I had my infectious disease doctor's number and I was like, I'm really sorry to call you on a Saturday, but for some reason I just feel like I'm pregnant. She was like, there is absolutely no way that you're pregnant. And I was like, okay, well, she's like, if you think that's true, stop your IV antibiotics and come see me tomorrow. So I stopped my IV antibiotics and I won't go into what happened, but something happened that led me into the emergency room the next day. So I end up in the emergency room the next day and they admit me to the hospital. And so she does blood work. (laughs) She came up one morning and Ryan, praise God, was there. She was like, walked in the door and she goes, I don't know what we're gonna do, but you are pregnant. (laughs) She was like, um, this is going to be really hard and it's going to be really heavy and it's going to be really life-threatening. Wow. But I'm on this journey with you. She was kind of like my medical mommy at the time. Um, but your lung is collapsed and your lung is really sick. And so we started on this journey. How far along were you? I was, I, you couldn't even tell on a pregnancy test. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You're she could just see all my HUD levels mm-hmm. were high, getting high. Mm-hmm. And they kept doing blood work every single day to make sure that I was keeping the baby in. Mm -hmm. Um, We had some really hard conversations with doctors. Um, They begged me to abort Mm -hmm. early on in my pregnancy. And I was like, you know what? If God brought me to this, y'all all all shut the door. Y'all all all told me how life-threatening it was. Y'all all all told me to stop trying. And if God brought me to this, he's going to bring me through it. And so we're just going to trust in that. And so... What did Ryan, I'm sure he felt the same way, but he had to be so afraid. It was really, yes. I think he would tell you that was the hardest season of his life um, because it got got heavier. So I ended up spending six months of those nine months in the hospital. And they told me it'll be a miracle if you make it to 24 weeks because at 24 weeks we're going to have to take this baby via C-section. Whoa. Yes. So we... um, we fight through it all with antibiotics and um, 
we got to 17 weeks. And at 17 weeks, my lung function was dropping rapidly. I was getting more and more sick. I was really skinny. And my lung was still collapsed. And it was still just really infected. And so the doctor in Fort Worth was like, we're going to have to do surgery. That's the only way we're going to save your life is if we cut out that portion of your lung. He's pretty harsh man. He's um, not my doctor anymore, but he <laughs> looked at Ryan and he said, you, you get to choose. This is where you choose now. You choose whether we save the life of your wife or we save the life of your son. Because if what you choose to hell? save the life of your wife. You can't say that. I know. If you choose your wife, we're going into surgery tomorrow in Dallas. And he was like, that's not a question you ask me. And that's not a question I want the man who's taking care of my wife to ask me. I don't want you to look at their lives that way. And so um, we got a second opinion. We got a second opinion in Denver, the doctor who had mm -hmm. turned my life around in my engagement. And so we flew up to Denver that next day. And praise God, that doctor got me. Um, I mean, he got me to 37 weeks. So you didn't have surgery? I didn't have surgery. He told me if I had had that surgery, not only would I have lost my child, but I would have been dependent on an oxygen tank for the rest of my life. He was like, I had a girl that was in your what, state. What a, what a testimony to yes. get a second opinion. Yes, yes. And yes, Good that was night. my mom who thought about that doctor because we hadn't been back to him since my engagement. And so praise God, we got on a plane and it made Thank my- Thank God you had the means. Yes. I mean, I feel yes. so, when I hear stuff like this, it- Yes. It kills me that there are so many people who don't, who don't have, have the choices. Right. Dang it. And uh, it's, a, it's a huge gift. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be here today if it weren't for the support of my parents. Um, so that man, I mean, we, it, we had to make a lot of hard decisions in Denver. Um, it was really difficult because there were some I drugs. I remember you in Denver. Yeah. There were some so, drugs. That so were, you, you stayed in Denver. I stayed in and Denver. And didn't your husband come back? Didn't yes. he go back and forth? Yeah, so starting that, once he saved my life, we decided from there on out to put my life in his hands. So he became my permanent cystic fibrosis doctor. So since that day in 2012, I, I go to him quarterly. Okay. So I have spent hundreds and hundreds of nights in the hospital with him since then. So we yeah, I got to 37 weeks and I had my little boy. And he was perfect. They were scared because I had to take so many drugs that could have hurt him. Mm -hmm. And I was on a lot of pain medicine that mm -hmm. could have caused a lot of issues. And he was healthy and he mm -hmm. was good. And wow. um, now, I struggled. But if you're if you have cystic fibrosis, are you automatically a carrier? Yes. Okay. Yes. So my okay. kids are automatically carriers. Okay. Oh. Okay. Um, but because Ryan, my husband, is not a carrier, That's they not have a issue. small chance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but that pregnancy, so when that, my lung collapsed, that started the cycle of, I averaged a hundred nights in the hospital for five years after that. So from 24 years old to 28 years old, 29, I was spending over a hundred nights in the hospital every single year in Denver. Um, at life, it got really hard. That pregnancy was really hard. The postpartum was really hard. What, what? What was your postpartum like? So um, when my little boy's, he's also named Ryan, but his nickname is Buster. So 
when Buster was six months old, um, I got the flu and I went into severe heart failure. Um, it's called viral cardiomyopathy. And so when he was six months old, I went into cardiac ICU for four days and my heart was failing. It was basically, um, my ox- I couldn't keep my oxygen up. I couldn't stand up without an oxygen tank. And so that just kind of started this downward spiral of just sickness. I had all these lung issues. Then all of a sudden I had all these heart issues and the combination of the two was just explosive. Mm. Um, and it was, we had this little baby who I was trying to take care of and I was trying to nurse and I was trying to be this normal mom on one end and on this other yeah, end, there's I was nothing just, normal about yeah, you. Right. Mm-hmm. On this other end, it was like, Hey, you're facing life or death and you're in heart failure and, we need you to stop nursing your child and take care of yourself for a hot second. And so uh, we made it out of cardiac ICU, but I couldn't stay out of the hospital more than a month that entire next year. And so I feel like I'm grateful for it because it taught my little boy how to to be easygoing Mm -hmm. and how to adapt well to whatever situation he's in. Mm -hmm. And um, how, how, what year was he born? 2012. Okay. Yes. So. So he's seven. He just turned uh, five. No, 2014. Whoa. Uh, I got like, married in 2012. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Not, I, that math is <laughs> that. Math is that. <laughs> yes. He's June of 2014. Okay. Sorry. Yes. Uh, got married like in 2012. Yeah. My fingers. <laughs> it's 2019, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So when he, from six months old, life just was really hard for us. Um, and postpartum was just really hard for us. And so I continued to fight infections and I continued to live in the hospital. Um, and then that infection that I was talking about earlier, that's life threatening. Mm-hmm. It came back when he was 18 months old. So do you remember that Christmas where I almost lost my life and Audrey came up to Denver? I do. And that's when everything, I feel like that's when everything got real to all my people, to all my friends and to all my family. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, that was December of 2015. So Bester, yeah, was 18 months old and um, the infection was active and my heart was not healthy. And at that point I was 100% dependent on an oxygen tank. And I just had no energy left. Um, and Did I, you feel like you were dying? Um, at moments Mm -hmm. I did. Um, were you scared? I was scared out of my mind. Really? I was so scared. Yeah. What were you scared of? I was scared of, I was scared of dying. I was scared of my son not having a mom. I was scared of my husband not having a wife. And I was scared because they didn't really know what was happening. And so if they don't know what's happening, they don't know how to fix it. Right. And they knew that this infection was attacking my lungs, but... They couldn't really pinpoint what was going on with my heart. Couldn't get their arms around it. Right. And so I was having, so one night, it was a Sunday night, and um, my husband usually flies in on Thursday to Denver when I'm in the hospital. He works Monday through Thursday, flies in Thursday night, and then spends the whole weekend with me. Mm -hmm. And then he flies back Sunday night. So that was kind of like our situation. Yeah, Mm -hmm. our routine. And because um, at this point, I had spent 100 nights in the hospital that year already. So it was just kind of our world. And my mom would take over with my son, and she would bring him up and 
back to Houston where she lives. But there was one Sunday night the week before Christmas and Ryan was supposed to leave. And I had just been praying my heart out about, I didn't feel comfortable with him leaving. And so because I, I just felt like the Lord was asking me to ask him to stay. And I felt that prompting really strongly. And so one day, I, I mean, that afternoon, I told Ryan, I go, I just feel like the Lord is begging you to stay. So can we rebook your flight for tomorrow? I just feel like I need you tonight. He was like, absolutely. And I was really sick at this point. And so um, sure enough, in the middle of the night, Sunday, I was sleeping. And all of a sudden, I woke up to this numbing. I felt numbing from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And all of my machines start going off like crazy. So Ryan jumps up and I was blue. I was completely blue. And I thought I was dying. I didn't know what was happening. My oxygen, I couldn't breathe. The oxygen machine wasn't giving me enough oxygen. And my heart rate just skyrocketed. And I couldn't really talk. But what I was just, I was like, God save me, God save me. I was yelling prayers. But um, Ryan didn't know what to do. So he runs into the hallway and yells for a nurse. And they come in and they take one look at me and push the rapid response button, which is over the whole hospital intercom. And a team of like 30 doctors and nurses come flying into my room. Um, and praise God, everything turned out okay, but I ended up on a heart monitor for the rest of my hospital stay. And I couldn't even stand up. If someone came in my room, my brother surprised me a few days later, I couldn't even stand up to give him a hug. They were like, your heart's not strong enough to stand up. We just need you to lay here. And that was scary. I feel like that's when I got so scared. And um, that's kind of when fear took over. Uh, but it was also when God taught me about surrender, about how like this world is temporary and I am forever. And I felt like he just took my grip off of everything I held on to this world that week. And um, so this happened in the night Sunday and Wednesday night, um, my sister-in-law and all of my friends asked our whole community here in Texas to pray for me. It was at six o'clock on a Wednesday night. So everyone got together and prayed. And that next day, um, my dad brought me this cystic fibrosis drug called Kaleidico that we had been praying for for years. It costs over $300,000 a year. And I didn't have the genetic makeup to get this drug. And so they approved for it. And basically my dad and my doctor had called on all the insurance people and the makers of this drug because my doctor was on the forefront of um, the research for this drug. And they were like, she's not going to make it if we don't try something. And sure enough, the morning after the prayer night, I got that drug and I tried it for the first time. And um, I spent Christmas in the hospital and Christmas was probably one of the hardest days of my life um, for a few reasons. But I feel like that's when God taught me, like, this is why I came. So you're not suffering alone and that you are loved by a God who you can have hope in for eternity and that this life is fading um, and it's temporary and you're not defined by the sickness. You're defined by me. And I feel like he made it really, really clear that Christmas. And um, yeah, there, you know, obviously Satan comes when I feel like you're strongest in your walk. And I felt like Satan attacked me with death and the fear of death um, a lot through that process. And so 
Um, I made it out of the hospital the day after Christmas. And Ryan and I went home. And I was still having those episodes where I would turn blue in the face. And my oxygen would drop and my heart rate would go up. And the doctors were like, we have no idea what's happening. Like you're on all the antibiotics. You got Kaleidico. We don't know what else to do for your lungs. But something is happening that we're just not certain of yet. And so I had that uncertainty for two months. And um, I felt, to be real and honest, there was this voice in my head, that whole, man, January and February, I just felt like this is, we went into 2016 and I felt like this voice in my head was like, 2016 is a year, like you're not going to make it. And I couldn't figure out what that voice was. I was like, okay, Lord, is this you preparing me for death mm-hmm. or is this the enemy? Mm-hmm. And I went to if gathering that year mm-hmm. and, um, I was on an oxygen tank and I went with one of my girlfriends and my husband, Ryan, he was like, you are crazy to go to a conference <laughs> when you are collapsing on the floor, blue out of nowhere. And just so dependent on oxygen tank. And I was like, I feel like the Lord's calling me there. I don't know why, but I feel like he's calling me there. And so it was the very end of the conference. And Angie, do you know Angie Smith? Mm-mm. She got up on stage. She wasn't supposed to speak. And she's one of Jenny Allen's who puts on If yeah. Gathering Conference, her good friends. I love Jenny Allen. Yeah. And um, Angie Smith was telling someone, I just feel like I'm disobeying God by not going up on stage. And so Jenny, I guess, dragged her up on stage and told us all of that. And Angie starts crying, and I won't go into everything she said that day. But she goes, I feel like the enemy's lying to me, and I feel like he's lying to you too. And that was when God spoke through Angie and was like, this is enemy lying. 2016 is not your year. Like I've got you and you're safe in my arms and stop listening to the lies of the enemy. That's not from me. Um, that's from him. And I'm going to carry you through this. And two weeks later, I they found a dime-sized hole in my heart. And they found this hole. And basically the whole time, this hole was causing my blood to shunt in the wrong direction and allowing me to be deprived of oxygen. That's why you were turning blue. That's why I was turning blue. And that's why it was correcting itself within a few minutes. And so um, I went into heart surgery a few weeks later, and they put a device in my heart. And um, surgery went well. It went great. I came right out of surgery not needing an oxygen tank. Um, But I kept, for those next two weeks, I kept bleeding out. And because I was on, so once you go into heart surgery, you're on really strong blood thinners for six months. And I called my doctor and I was like, I can't stop bleeding and out of my nose. And he was like, stop your blood thinners until we can get you in to fix the bleeding. And long story short, I stopped the blood thinners and I ended up having a stroke. I was putting my- For the love of God, I don't know this. Yes. So this was 2016. (sighs) So three years ago, I was putting, my husband was- at a work event, a dinner. And I just texted him from the couch and was like, cause he was worried about me. I was fresh out of heart surgery. And I was like, everything's going great here. We're perfect. Like, please have fun. And I put my phone down and I went to put Buster in his crib. And as I put him in his crib, my whole left side went paralyzed. And they told me, if you stop your blood thinners, there's a chance of having a stroke, but you're so young, you'll be fine. And I texted. If you have a stroke, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But I. uh, Sounds so ridiculous. I know. I called my neighbor who's a doctor and she ran over 
And she made me start chewing adult aspirin, which I swear is what saved my, from having permanent damage. And um, anyways, I got in an ambulance and they took me to the hospital. And that next day I, the next day I woke up with what they called battery acid pneumonia and in need of my first blood transfusion. And um, what, what is that? Yeah, I know. So I'm like, I have this lung disease and then all of a sudden I have all these heart issues so I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what are you teaching me? What are you trying to show me here? And he was just teaching me his dependence. I mean, there's nothing. Having a stroke created a lot of anxiety in me. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. And so I felt like within you just. You just texted, you're fine. Yes. I was just said I was perfectly fine. <sighs> and I just felt like I had come face to face with death so many times yeah. in these last few months. From Christmas, not yeah. being able to breathe, to heart surgery, to a stroke. And it's all coming out of the blue. And it's all coming out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And I have this tiny little mm-hmm. human that needs me. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just felt like God taught me so much about what it looks like to trust in him. Mm-hmm. And to believe that even if not, he is still good. Mm-hmm. And that's something I had to keep praying over and over. Is Even if not, he is still good. Mm-hmm. Even if he does not heal me, even if he does not pull me out of this. Mm-hmm. Um there's still hope in eternity. Sure. And the other side of this life is really, 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 really sweet. And those are all true. Yeah. And great things to say and great things to hear. But, like, you're young. Yeah. You're beautiful. You're happily married. Your husband's fabulous. You have now children. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those things and faith has a place. But, like... I'm sure you would visit this space of, I don't want to die. And right. I don't want to say goodbye. And I don't, I'm not ready. Heaven is, I believe that heaven is better than here. Yes. But I'm not ready to leave here. Right. You know, I'm, I'm just, and which is a silly thing to say, because that's like, do you want to go to the mansion tonight right. or McDonald's? <laughs> yeah. Like, I want to go to the mansion, <laughs> yes. you know? Exactly. <laughs> but it's because exactly. we've never been to the mansion. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and we know what we have here. Right. It's hard to imagine and trust that, that what's waiting for us is, could possibly be more satisfying and, and yeah. better than here. Anyway, I, I'm, I am, if I were you, I'm not projecting, but I'm just thinking that I would live on both sides right. of that seesaw all day, all every day. day, that I would just be fighting yeah. me. It was hard because every night I would just go to bed on my knees crying that I would wake up in the morning. I'm like, I just want to see my kid go to kindergarten. Yeah. I just want to see him turn five. I just want to see him um, just learn how to talk and yeah interact with children anyways because he was so young at this point but um i did i cried a lot i'm just begging jesus to to allow me to wake up in the morning mm-hmm. um and that's a heavy prayer yeah. the, that i've never age. prayed that prayer it's hard Ever. it's really hard and heart surgery and stroke caused a lot of anxiety in me um i didn't really know what anxiety was until i had both of those two um, and so I, I dealt with a lot of anxiety attacks and I had to go to counseling and, um, thankfully I had Ryan who held my hand through every ambulance ride and who encouraged me. And, um, when I had that stroke, he was like, I know God put me on this earth to take care of you. So I promise you I've got you. 
and you're safe in his arms. And so he just had to keep reminding me of that over and over. Because the medical world's a beat down. When you spend that many nights in the hospital, it's pretty negative and it's pretty harsh and um, they'll they'll knock you down. But if it weren't for my people holding me up 24-7 and your My family and is friends. A rock star. He's a stud. And I'm like, isn't it so funny that this man who I doubted when we were dating because he didn't know Jesus, <laughs> he walks more like Jesus Christ than anyone else I know on this earth. Yeah. So it's just awesome to watch God's transformation in that. It's so it's, beautiful. It's really neat. Yeah, I'm so grateful for him. So um, when did you have your second baby? So I had my second baby. Um, well, he's 14 months now, so last year. Okay. But I'm trying to think in terms of my stroke. I had the stroke in 2016. God totally changed my life around through an all-natural doctor. Um, and I was one week away from my first surrogacy appointment. So my doctors had begged me not to have another child myself. But I knew I was called to have another one. And so we were, gonna, we were going the route of surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And we were one week out from that appointment when I found out that I was pregnant with Rhett, my youngest. And I called Audrey (laughs) and I was crying. I was like, my doctors are gonna be so mad. I'm so scared to tell them. I was more scared to tell my cystic fibrosis doctors and and I was scared to tell my family for sure because everyone was gonna be mad at me. Mm -hmm. They were like, you know how to prevent a baby, so Mm -hmm. let's do that better. Uh, my cystic fibrosis doctor in Dallas was harsh. It was really, it was horrible. I cried for five hours of the appointment. Um, they begged me to abort him. They questioned my faith um, because they said, I know you believe in this God that gave you this child, but um, you're putting your life at risk. And so that was really hard. That was hard to hear. Um, so... Anyways, they... Um, were you sick? I mean, I know you're always... Right. Had cystic fibrosis, but were you... I was doing pretty good. You were doing pretty but good I was when you doing, got pregnant? I was doing pretty good because of Kaleidico. Because okay. of that drug I got put on at Christmas that time. And do you have to get off of that when you're pregnant? Yes. Oh. So that's what we were most scared of. So Kaleidico makes my lungs filter out infection like a normal person. Um, so that's what... After I had my stroke... My lungs were pretty healthy. It was just a matter of getting the rest of my body healthy. Um, And that started this whole new season of life, chapter of life, of not being in the hospital as much um, because of this drug. And um, I had to stop it. That was the hard part. Mm -hmm. And that's why I was scared to tell my cystic fibrosis doctor in Denver because I knew he was going to make me stop it. So I called Audrey in this parking lot, and she gave me the courage to tell him. And I told them, and... Her, his nurse texted me back and was like, you have to stop Kaleidica right now. And that scared me really badly because I had been living a year mm-hmm. and a half outside of hospital walls because of this drug. Mm. And I was terrified, but that is one more thing that God called me into this pregnancy. Um, so we were going to trust in it. And it was good. It was, it was really good. Honestly, my doctors at this point were more scared about my heart than they were my lungs. Because I had a device in my heart that was a foreign device, and it was just there was a lot of risk in that with my pregnancy. So, um, but everything, everything, praise God, went well. I had a few hospital stays, um, and I went into preterm labor at 24 weeks. Mm. So I got put on bed rest 
which I feel like was God's provision and just causing me to slow down and rest and take care of me and take care of baby. But at those 24 weeks, my lung function was dropping really low. And so my doctor in Denver was like, I think the benefit outweighs the risk. So they put me back on Kaleidico. Um, And I ended up being part of a research study because of that. But um, we had my son at 36 weeks and he spent a little time in the NICU, but he was good. He was great. Wow. Yeah. And so so he's 14 months now. He's 14 months. And so did you immediately go back on Clydeco again? Yes. Yes. And have you stayed out of the hospital? Yes. I've been doing well. I mean, you look fabulous. The Thank first you. time I met you, you were not doing fabulous. No. Mm-mm. You were not feeling well. You were yes. so thin. Yes. And you, how how's your GI now? My GI is good. Um, this all natural doctor that I go to has helped that my GI track a lot. So do you have a special diet? Yes. I'm gluten-free, dairy-free. I can't eat too much, but... Meat? I eat chicken. Yeah. (laughs) No, really. (laughs) Um, I eat pretty clean, but I'm grateful for it because I feel so much better when I do. Oh, and I bet you are just so happy to eat. Yes. Yes. Can you drink alcohol? Yes, I can. Okay. Yeah, not when I'm sick. When I'm on my IVs, it's mm-hmm. I can't. But when I'm healthy, and praise God, it's been a it's been a really good summer. Uh, my lung function was pretty low when we started out this summer. It was in the sixty percentile, which usually when my lung function's in the sixty percentile, I go straight into a hospital. But my Denver doctor was like, "You're doing so great, other than your lungs." So I'm gonna give you the summer and let's see how it goes. And I've been feeling great. So what is your lung function right now, sitting here today? I haven't gone back. To the doctor since the beginning of summer. Um, That's I would, awesome. Yes, I know, kind of avoiding it, but um, I would guess it's in the seventies because of how I feel. I feel good. And so, do you? Can you exercise? I do Pilates. Like I can't really go on a run anymore, mm-hmm. um, but I can walk and do Pilates. Is hard. Pilates is hard. Yes. So that's why I started this summer, and it's made me feel really great. So, do you breathe? Is it harder for you to breathe? Yes. In an exercise a class? Yeah. Yes. So do do you feel your breath? Do you always feel your breath? Always. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I do breathing treatments every day, every night. Um, so we have a regimen that we have to stand by every single day. So, and that helps a ton. You say we a lot. Who's we? Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> he do you notice not, you do that? Do I? Yes. Um, it's always we. Oh, how funny. I'm like, I didn't notice that. Just, you're the only it's one. It's actually just you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so cute. Um, he, <laughs> yes. He, if I, he won't let me go to bed without doing it. So <laughs> he's very strict in his ways, but it keeps me out of the hospital. So we know what that life looks like. And we're super grateful to be out of that. So are you done having children? I am done having children, yes. Are you in menopause? Did you go through menopause? Nope, I didn't. Nope. Yeah, so the all-natural doctor has gotten that. Under control? Under control. Yes, she changed my life, and she loves the Lord. And um, she brought me out of a really dark place after that stroke. And I'm very grateful, because my medical doctors have pretty much given up hope after the stroke. Um, So she changed my life. And uh, we're, we're grateful. Are you still afraid to die? Yes. Um, 
I say, are that. you afraid to die or are you afraid to not be here? I think I'm more afraid to not be here. Yeah, that's yeah. what I. I'm more guess. afraid to not be here for my kids mm-hmm. and for my husband and for my friends. That's what I'm more afraid of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think I've realized having disease makes me realize how short life is and it makes me super grateful for today. Mm-hmm. And for that alone, the suffering is so worth it. Because I get, I see everything different than I did before. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that God gave me today. And I'm grateful that he's let me see my kid turn five. And um, I keep praying for the small moments. Mm-hmm. And I never really prayed for the small moments before. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I pray really big prayers. Um, but I also pray for the little things that I didn't really know to pray for before. And to so, be grateful. And to be grateful. Right. Yeah. Like, I would have never prayed that I would make it to see my kid go to kindergarten. But that's a prayer of mine all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, and that I would see him get married and all of those things, too. But yeah. uh, just the small things. So I'm scared of death, but it's also like, it's something, I do realize it's something that we're all going to face one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm more scared of what I leave behind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was before, to be honest. Before, I was like, gosh, I'm going to be up in heaven being like, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm like, I also realized that you're not jealous in heaven. Right. You don't have those thoughts in heaven. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you're... It's been a wild ride. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's a lot to go back on, but we realize how precious like nights at home are. Every night we pray with our oldest and we're like, thank you that we're not in a hospital room today. Mm-hmm. And we thank you that we're home together as a family. <laughs> um, so, and it's funny because my oldest understands that prayer and he understands that we're grateful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I was in the hospital in March. Um, I had had surgery and he loved, he would not leave my side. When he would come up, he'd be like, I'm going to spend the night with mommy. It's okay. <laughs> and he would stay there for eight hours. And the other day he was like, mommy, can we go back to that hospital place where you brought me? Because I gave him a toy every time he came to see me, and so it would be something fun to look forward to. <laughs> I was like, remember, Mommy doesn't want to go back to the hospital because that means I'm sick and I want to be here with you. Um, so that he's figuring so it out. so precious. Yes. Gosh, I mean, you, you're, I know that, I know that you don't set out to, like, bless others i know you don't set out to inspire others like you're just doing your best and you're living your life and you're doing it in great faith but you also have to know what an impact like your life and your faith and your marriage and the the small things like all of those are are a blessing to other people like the things that you I know you through Audrey, right. who's here, and I mean, and we, in our Bible study, would pray for you all the time. But I mean, before I ever knew you, like we were all blessed by your faith because mm-hmm. Audrey would tell us over and over again, like she's so sick, but her faith is so strong, and like those two often don't go together you know a lot of people get sick and they ask why and they get angry right and they don't understand and it has only it has only moved you to a closer space you know there's 
the gap between you and the Lord is not big. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it's just, you have to know like what, what an inspiration your life has been. And there is great purpose. I mean, great purpose in your suffering. And I'm, I'm sorry for you, but I mean, you've reminded me today, like how, what, how there's purpose in my suffering, Mm -hmm. you know, like to remember that like, it's not all bad. Like it's just not all bad. And if, if we take the time to find, I mean, I love that you said multiple times, say, what is the Lord doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, like that is such a great way to look at suffering and, mm-hmm. and what a beautiful perspective for you to walk through the rest of your life with, like mm-hmm. not asking why, not punching your fists, you know, and, and wondering why me, you know, but just saying, Lord, help me see what you're doing here. It's just beautiful. So thank you Paige for coming and thank Thank you for sharing your story. And I just want you to live a, um, I want you to see those boys get married. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, it's seriously an honor to be here. Loved it. Loved it. I appreciate it. it. Thank you. Thanks.